Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. And my joy to introduce Ness Wilson to you. If you've been around Emmaus Road for a while, you would have heard her uh, before. She leads Open Heaven Church. Uh, husband uh, Rich and I were recently roommates at, a, at a, a, a little gathering that happened, and we had great fun. My, my sort of enduring memory of Ness, and this isn't a particularly holy moment, but was we were at the 24-7 prayer gathering in uh, Vienna. Was it Vienna? It was Vienna. And we just ended up um, in this bar. Um, Ness and Rich and, and Nikki and I and um, a, couple, a couple of other friends and just telling these ridiculous stories and literally crying with laughter. And it was just like such a happy moment. So whenever I think of Ness, that's what I think about, uh, laughing uh, sober in a bar. Um, Ness, uh, why don't you come up and we will pray for you. Father, we want to thank you so much for Ness. We want to thank you so much for the ministry that you've given her all over the world. And we pray, Father, that you would speak through her this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. It's so good to be here. I've been looking forward uh, to being here for a little while. And I've just been over at Woking and, and seen that place. It's in a most amazing building. So, um, yeah, it's so good to be with you. So I'm continuing this series of hacking the code of life in Christ. It's all about being in Christ. And uh, I've got a couple of verses that I want to kind of root us into. So it'd be brilliant if you've got Bible on your phones or even a paper version, an old-fashioned Bible, then get it out and we're going to read together. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will. It's true, isn't it, that chosenness creates confidence. If you just think about it, we all know the power, don't we, of being chosen for something, getting a promotion at work, being picked for a sports team, landing a leading role in a production. Being chosen for something makes us feel bigger on the inside. We feel noticed. We feel acknowledged. We feel validated. And that sense of being chosen, of being wanted, of being desired is a great motivator and increases our confidence. And yet conversely, we know, don't we, that not being chosen really knocks our confidence, especially if others get chosen instead of us. And when confidence decreases, if you're anything like me, if you're part of the human race, then all the enemies of the soul can crowd in 
to that moment. Feelings of rejection, insecurity, self-doubt, lies, fears. And rather than be willing to shine, when our confidence is getting knocked, actually, we want to hide. Maybe we want to hide from God. Oftentimes, we want to hide from others. Some of you right now, in this moment, in whatever's going on in your life, might resonate with that feeling of, nobody would know it on the outside, but actually inside, I'm just wanting to hide. I'm feeling diminished. And I'm really glad you're here, if that's you, because God wants to do something powerful this morning. When we really know, right in the core of our being, what it means to be chosen by God, man, it unravels all of the, the lies and the fears and the woundedness of our hearts. So what do these verses actually tell us about being chosen? Because it's important, isn't it, that this isn't just some kind of pop psychology. This is rooted in God's word. This is rooted in deep, ancient truth. Okay, so look at this in your phones, in your Bible. For he chose us in him. The in him bit is really important. It's what this whole series is about. Because there is a mystery, isn't there? There is a paradox about chosenness in the Bible. It's one that theologians have wrestled with down the ages. It's clear that God is both sovereign, in charge, in control. The Bible unashamedly says that over and over and over again and uses words like being chosen and even words like predestination. And yet at the same time, the Bible is also really clear that we as human beings have the dignity of free will, that we can choose to accept or reject God's invitation for relationship. So what's going on? Well, I think the key is these two words, being chosen in him. You know, the words in him and in Christ, they're referred to nine times in the first 14 verses of chapter 1 of Ephesians. So it's absolutely critical, the in him bit, the in Christ bit. Basically, it means this. When we choose Christ, we become chosen. When we choose Christ, we become chosen. The best illustration I've ever heard of this is of an arched doorway and you're on the outside, and the words above the arch say, you choose. And you're totally free to choose whether to go in or not. And the archway, the, the door, is Jesus Christ. And for those of us who choose to go in through that doorway, when we turn around, we look back at the arched doorway, the words written above that door have changed. And now the word says, chosen. That there's something in us choosing Christ that means we become chosen. 
Everyone is invited to enter in, but not all do. And the brilliant thing about being chosen, it's not just being chosen for chosen's sake, it's chosen for a purpose. And that purpose is to invite others into that relationship with Jesus. And knowing deep down in our hearts what it means to be chosen affects everything about us. It has the power to combat rejection, insecurity, hiddenness, even when we've been rejected by the people who are closest to us or rejected by the very people in our lives that should have been there for us. The chosenness of being in Christ is deeper and stronger and more true than the rejection that we might have felt from those around us. There's something that God wants to do about really knowing because we know, because we know, because we know that God the Father has chosen us. There's a story uh, that I read many years ago that tells the impact of feeling chosen, of feeling wanted. And the story goes like this. It's from an author called Mary Ann Bird. And she says, I grew up knowing I was different. And I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to them. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth and garbled speech. When my classmates asked, so what happened to you? What happened to your lip? I'd tell them that I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in year two that we all adored. Mrs. Leonard was her name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. They were seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper to me, I wish you were my little girl. You know, I've been really aware with um, my little girl, Lauren, who's actually not so little anymore, Lauren, um, who's now nine. I've got two, Emily, who's 14, Lauren, who's nine. But I've been really aware that it's very important she knows that she is wanted and she feels chosen. And that's because in between our two girls, we had a, a son, a little boy who died as a baby. And we were told the condition that he died of was genetic. So it was a big decision to go for a third child. And I'm so glad we did. But having prayed with lots of people over the years and known how some 
Little seeds of wrong thinking can go in as a child and then reap havoc. I've just been so keen to make sure that she knows because she knows because she knows that she is no plan B and she is so wanted and chosen. And there's nothing in her that kind of thinks, you know, oh, if my big brother hadn't have died, then I wouldn't have been here or somehow perhaps I should have been a boy because then mum and dad would have got to raise a son. All that rubbish, all that destructive thinking. And so one of the things I've done, partly because of reading this story many years ago, is that I've tucked her up at night, night after night, night after night, is when we snuggle up. She actually likes me to get inside the duvet. <laughs> so I'm snuggling up. And I'll always whisper to her the words, I'm so glad that God gave you to us. I'm so glad that you are our little girl. And I've done that just to, just to make sure that nothing can ever, ever, ever get into her formative being. That means she never feels as though she wasn't wanted. And I think it's gone in. At a parents' evening a couple of years ago, year three it was, and at parents' evening, while you're waiting for the teacher to see you, sometimes you get to look through, you know, the kind of um, work that they've done. And looking through her literacy book, she had to write a poem. Some of you who maybe are in teaching will, will know about this, a Japanese-style poem called a haiku, something like that, short poem. Anyway, the challenge, it was called the haiku challenge, Write a poem with the word wonderful in it. This is how she started. I am wonderful. <laughs> a few other lines ending with, and I am so happy. And I was like, yes, God. <laughs> it's gone in. And you know, as I was just preparing this talk, a couple of things that I just thought, for some of you who are parents of younger children, as you're tucking them up tonight, just whisper into their ears, I'm so glad God gave you to our family and see what it does to them. But even more than that, I felt there was something that Father God wanted to do for all of us here which is to whisper in our ears, I'm so glad that you are my child. I'm so glad you belong to the family of God. Because if it's my heart to instill that into my little girl, how much more is it the perfect father's heart to instill that into his children? He is so desperate that we know that we are loved and wanted and chosen. And especially if you have a history of rejection. He wants to be whispering in over and over and over and over again. I am so glad that you belong to me. One area that I think the church could have so much to say and could model so well is what it means to know we're chosen 
if we're single. You know, the culture that we're in screams a message that's actually really unbiblical. And the message is, be in a relationship. No matter who, no matter how, just be in a relationship. Because singleness is to be avoided at all costs. And it's completely against what God would have us as the people of God, the chosen ones, to be thinking. The biblical view is that marriage is a gift from God with blessings and challenges. And singleness can be a gift from God with blessings and challenges. And the truth is this, it is not marriage or relationships that complete us. It is Christ that completes us. It is. And we have to live like it and model something. You know, nobody ever said of Mother Teresa, oh, she would have been so much more complete and effective if only she had been married. We've got incredible role models, haven't we? Of people who have been single and have been on a God adventure because of the freedom that singleness has afforded them, that they've not had to be divided in their time, effort, attention between, uh, between their love for God and also attending to the needs of spouse or kids. I remember, I think it was at the same 24-7 conference in Vienna, chatting to a guy called Dave. He was in his 50s, and he'd given his life to mentoring troubled lads. And... Um, Honestly, he was one of the most joy-filled people I think I've ever met. Like, his eyes were shining, that kind of person. And I, I, was, I was fascinated by um, his approach to singleness. And I actually asked him to write down, to email me, um, kind of his take on it. And this is what he wrote. He said, remaining single helps me to live my life for others. I have a freedom to love others generously and without partiality. As a single man, I am free to be a member of every family, yet belonging to none. I don't need to focus my affections on one woman or one set of young people, my own children. I can love generously. I thought, that's fantastic. And I just think this is an area that we need to recognize we have so much more to say and so much more to model. We have a number of people in, in, in our church back home um, we have a number of community households, either single people who are living, committed to living in community, or whole mix. We've got one household that's like 11 people, whole mix of like one kind of family with kids and uh, um, a couple without kids and a whole load of single people. And Rich and I have had people live with us most of our married life. That there's something we can model about community and about singleness. The early church acknowledged and honoured single people who were committed to the cause of Christ in, a, in, a, in an extra way that I think we perhaps need to do more of. So I think being known we're chosen is very, very powerful, particularly for people who might think, I might never be asked to marry someone. I might never walk down an aisle. I might never wear a wedding ring, but I know that I am chosen in Christ. And then the next bit of the verse for he chose us in him is fascinating. It says, before the creation of the world. And I just think that's amazing. 
that before the creation of the world, when God was in kind of perfect being, one in three, in God's mind, he dreamt up us. In God's mind, he thought about having a big family. In God's mind, he thought about having many sons and daughters. And even though there was a cost to that, and we know the cost was Jesus Christ having to come and die so we could be reconciled to God. But that's incredible before the creation of the world, we were chosen. And what for? We're not just chosen for chosen's sake, but the end of verse 4. So we're chosen in Christ. We're chosen before the creation of the world. And we're chosen for to be holy and blameless in his sight. The word holy means to be whole, clean, free, set apart, different. It means living life in Christ and not according to the code of the world. But the key to this is not some kind of unachievable standard of like, I've got to be holy and blameless and I'm never going to do it and whip myself on the back and I am but a worm. It's not that. The key to this status of being holy and blameless is because it's in his sight. If you just again look at that verse, it says to be holy and blameless in his sight. Because the fact is this, in God's sight, he doesn't just see us, he sees us in Christ. It's the whole being in Christ thing again. And that is amazing. He doesn't just see us, it's like we're tucked under, we're tucked into the cloak of the righteousness of Christ. And so when he looks upon us, when Father God looks on us, he sees the righteousness of his Son. Because we're in Christ so we're, we're, it's like we're hidden in him. So that's why we approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because he looks on us and he sees righteousness. He sees the holiness of his son. So being holy and righteous and blameless is not a conditional thing on being really, 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 really good. It's a positional thing of being in Christ. We don't get holy and then get God. We get God and then get holy. You can't earn your way into holiness. You accept it. And then the most amazing thing is that as you begin to see yourself as holy and righteous in Christ, you're tucked under his cloak, you begin to live a life that matches up to who you are. The most amazing thing is this. If you see yourself right you will act right. It doesn't come from earning and trying and and, and getting, you know, working up and striving. It comes from, oh, my identity. I'm a daughter of the King of Kings. I'm clothed in righteousness. I'm going to live like it. One of the things we're doing as a church at the moment is something called the 60-60 experiment. And what we're all doing is we're putting a reminder on our phones every 60 minutes for 60 days to get, make sure that we're staying connected to God. So every 60 minutes is a reminder and it's just like, oh, I'm just checking in with God. He's here, he's with me. And God, what are you thinking? What are you saying? What do you see? And it's brilliant for kind of nudging us to the left or the right if we're perhaps about to do something that doesn't match with who we are. 
is a really practical way to begin to live up to our identity and our calling as being tucked into the righteousness of Christ. And then, verse 5, just kind of rounds off this whole chosenness piece with the brilliant truth of adoption. I'm guessing that, that here is probably the same as across the church in the UK. There's been a wonderful response to the needs of fostering and adoption from the church right across the country. And so even on Sunday back home at Open Heaven, I was leading the gathering. And when it's the worship, all the kids kind of pile forward because we have this kind of creative, messy, interactive worship space. And I just noticed a little girl who was there at church for the first time, a three-year-old, who's just become part of a forever family, one of the families in our church. And she was looking with like wide-eyed wonder at all the adults who were worshipping and the children who were doing art and creativity and moving and dancing and singing. And I was like, honestly, it choked me up just watching her there, not only adopted into a wonderful forever family, but then part of the wider family of God. And I had to kind of turn away because I was about to dissolve and I thought that was not going to do what I'm leading the meeting. But then I just thought, wow, I'm getting really touched by watching this. And it's even more amazing, it's even more immense, the fact that we are adopted into God's family, the forever family. That we're not just chosen to be servants and we're not just chosen <laughs> to even be friends. We're chosen to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And in Roman culture, that meant everything. You know, all debts were removed and all the rights and the inheritance of the family was yours. And I just, as I was preparing this, just thought for some of you, if you have a sense that your own kind of family line, your own sort of family inheritance, the patterns of your family life maybe are not that great, that God says, you need to know that you're grafted into a new family line and that some of those patterns can stop today and some of the new patterns of God's family can begin to become yours and the generations after you. My mum and dad were both first generation Christians and it's changed everything. That there's a chance as you step into God's family walk through that archway where you look back and you realize, I'm chosen in Christ. Everything changes. Your family line changes from that point on. So to know what it is to be truly adopted by the best dad in the world. Now I know that sometimes we say the word father or dad or daddy, and there's an emotional response because some people have, have suffered at the hands of their own dad. But God just wants to come in the way that only he can do and redeem even the worst of the experiences. Because the key to understanding God's fathering, he doesn't share in the fallenness of humanity. His ways are so much higher, his thoughts are so much greater. Just as I was preparing this, I had a, a picture of um, somebody, a, a girl wearing a red dress and um, her dad 
leaving the family home, slamming the door and, uh, and her dissolving into tears. And if that's you, then God just wants to come and to show you where he was in that moment for you. Because Father God never leaves us, never forsakes us, never abandons us. And if we've known our own dad, leave, desert, abandon, know this, it is not your fault. It is not your fault. And God wants to come as the best dad in the world and heal us up. So I wonder if we could just pray. If it would help you to put your hand on your heart, then do that. If this is touching some kind of wounds, God wants to come and bring healing. It'll be layers of healing. That's, we're a bit like onions, aren't we? There's different layers. And let's just invite him to come. Father God, I accept the truth that I am chosen in you. Would you come and begin to work deeply into the very core of who I am and root out rejection? That God, I do not want to live under rejection anymore. Would you come with the truth of chosenness that is deeper still and stronger still and more powerful still than the wounds that I've received? And God, would you show me and reveal to me what it means to be adopted into your family? I'm not just chosen to be a servant or chosen to be a friend. I'm chosen to be a child, dearly loved. A child over whom you whisper, I'm so glad you belong to me. And your face breaks into a smile when you look at us. So Lord, would you come and minister and do what only you can do? That God, we would really live up to our calling. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.